I don't know if you were aware of this or not, um, but there is an international sign of judgment. And you, you might have heard this before, I, I don't know, and I don't know if this is something that you're familiar with. Um, but there is an international sign of judgment, and it is the, uh, it's the shopping cart. And it's interesting because we, we, we know this because picture yourself pulling into a grocery store or to Walmart or to wherever, and you pull into a space, and instead of being able to park there, there's a shopping cart left there. What do you feel in this moment? Because if you're me, I never judge a person harder than when I see a shopping cart left. In fact, if I wasn't, you know, looking through the lens of faith, I would say, and I would agree with many scholars, that the shopping cart is the basic material that determines if you are a good person or not. Because if you were the scum of the earth, you leave the shopping cart where your car was parked. And there's many other times in my life where I feel like I'm really a, a judgmental person. That also happens at Planet Fitness. I judge most of the people in there using the machines for, you know, whatever they can come up with. Um, there's many times in my life where I can be a judgmental person. And maybe that's easy for you as well. Maybe you're a person that just naturally judges people. We can just have an honest moment in here. You're a person that looks at people and it's just like, you're an idiot. Like, you're an idiot. Whether that person's driving, leaving a shopping cart, working legs on the bench press somehow. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know, but if I'm just honest this morning, I can be a judgmental person. And Jesus, today, as we continue our best series ever, looking at his words... The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' sermon through Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. Today, as we begin chapter 7, we only have three more weeks of this, including today. So Jesus' words are almost concluded as it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to begin our time today starting with judgment. And not judgment like Armageddon, but judgment as we'll see in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. So you can turn there if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be on the screen the clock says that I'm 41 minutes behind, so who knows what time will be done today. Thank you, now we're on time. Who knows how long we'll be done, you know, who cares. Uh, so Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, here's what it says. Do not judge, so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure that you use. You see, this verse has been taken out of context many times. So before we dive into what this verse means, what does this verse not mean? This verse does not mean only God can judge me. This verse does not mean that I can do whatever I want according to culture because you can't judge me because you're not God. Normally people say that when they're doing something that actually goes against what God would have. And in a, honestly, without the reverence, they, they throw this out there like, we would agree with you, bro, but God is the one who will judge and we read this verse and we, we say that, but we also say this, don't ever judge anyone. And what we mistakenly believe in this verse is that Jesus is calling us to not critically think. And that's not what he's saying. This verse does not mean only God can judge me. And this verse does not mean that you are not called to critically think. You see, we see this within our own marriage. 
if Emily was to call something out in me that was not good, I could not respond to her and say, well, do not judge or you'll be judged. That's not how this works. But the practice of judging others, I know it's a silly example, but legitimately, whether it be at the gym or on the highway, in a parking lot, the the practice of judging others is a very easy practice to pick up, and it doesn't need to be taught. You see, Jesus drops this command to do not judge so that you won't be judged with this weighty measure in verse 2. Look back down at it, and and we'll repeat ourselves in verse 12 when we get to it, but verse 2, look back down at it. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. So Jesus is taking it a step further, and he's saying, do not judge, because whatever, however you judge someone, the same measure, the same practice, will come back right to you. And then he takes it a step further, and he says this about judgment. Let's look back down at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 3, and maybe you've heard this before. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam of wood <laughs> in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus has a sense of humor, and anyone who would say that he doesn't has not read this passage. You see, Jesus is using a humorous method here of bringing out the contrast between our excellence and picking up the faults of others and our myopia, as one person puts it, and discerning our own. Jesus is not talking about an actual splinter and an actual piece of wood. This is comedy here. Jesus is using imagery to show what he means when he talks about do not judge others and how easy it is for us to judge others while we have a seemingly beam of wood in our eye. And as I said, this full sermon is full of honest moments. This is us. Because not only is it easy for us to judge others, but it is just natural for me to judge others while neglecting my own sins, my own issues, my own struggles. And all of us in here, we have blind spots. There are areas in all of our lives that we are not seeing clearly where we fall short. And here Jesus is calling the ways that we know we are failing, yet we know other. And so the question that I have as we read this is, Jesus, while that is true, would it be correct for us to say that the speck in my brother's eye doesn't matter? Because just because I know I'm a sinner doesn't mean what they're doing is okay, and that's not what Jesus is saying. Notice the order if we look back down at verse 5. Number one, Jesus used the term hypocrite, which he does not use lightly. Jesus has used this term with the religious leaders of the time. And when he says this, it's, it's once again, I mean, this whole sermon has been tension, and now he's ratcheting up the tension even more. And if it was a good sermon for all these strangers, you probably would not say hypocrite. But Jesus does. So notice the order of what Jesus is saying when it comes to judgment. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye so that you will be able to see clearly 
to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. First, first, remove the beam of wood out of your eye. And then you can help your brother. I think we see the kindness in this passage that Jesus loves us too much to allow us to neglect the plank that is in our eye. Jesus loves you too much to allow you to still act like a jerk to your spouse. Jesus loves you too much to not let you get away with cutting corners at your job. Condemnation, that's from the enemy. But the conviction that the Spirit brings that says you, brother and sister, have a huge plank in your eye. That's not judgment, that's grace. If God did not love you, why would he not leave you to your plank? I think about the story of Jonah. And many times we read the story of Jonah and the fish swallowing Jonah, and we think, look at God's judgment in the fish swallowing Jonah. Yet I think through the lens of the gospel, we could read a story like Jonah and say, what grace was the great fish that swallowed him up from his watery death? God loved Jonah too much to allow him to just throw himself overboard and die. God appointed a great fish to come and swallow Jonah up and spit him out on land. The fish was not judgment. The fish was grace. And by the Spirit calling out your plank, it is grace. We could also say it like this, that because of the grace and because of the gospel, the gospel levels the playing field. This is what your plank and my plank does. It says you are a sinner in need of grace. The gospel is the thing that levels the playing field. Splinters or planks, we are sinners. Whether you see your plank or you see your brother's splinter, we are all in need of redemption. We all need the grace that only Jesus can pour out. Jesus is not saying that your issues are bigger than the other person. But what he is saying is that you are much more efficient in helping out your fellow brother when you realize your own faults. You see, when we understand the gospel, this is our only response. Man, I am more screwed up than anybody I know. The only response to the gospel is Adam Pickard has the biggest plank in his eye that I've ever seen. And while my heart is tempted to call out Emily's, to call out Kevin's, to call out whoever in here, to call out their splinters, no, 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 no. Adam, you are a sinner. Adam, you are a sinner in need of grace. And brother, you got a beam of wood sticking out of your head. That's what the gospel does. It levels the playing field. And it's only in this posture that I am efficient and useful to help and love my brother. You are much more efficient in helping your brother when you understand your own faults. Jesus will do way much more, way much more, so much more, way more. He's going to do a lot in your faults and in your sins. This is what he told the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, says, I prayed, Lord, three times that this thorn in my flesh, whatever that is and we don't know, would be taken away. And the Lord responded three times, no. You will see my power perfected in your weaknesses. We are much more efficient in our weaknesses, in our, in our humility, than we are in our seemingly prideful abilities to be a good Christian. 
And if the Spirit is convicting you, not condemning you, but convicting you of the plank that is in your own eye, then I say we must pay attention to it. However, with this language of planks and splinters, Jesus also said something at the end of verse 6 that I don't know if you caught it, and I don't know if when we read it you're like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? And honestly, it would be so much easier for me to just skip over this verse because it's a weird verse. Let's look back down at it. This is what Jesus says after he talks about the splinter in your brother's eye and the plank in your eye. (laughs) Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. Or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. So I, I feel like most of us have followed this command. Anyone tossed pearls to pigs? Given something holy to dogs? And no, I don't think Jesus is being literal here that you're, you're tossing pearls to pigs. But he's, he is saying something here that within this context, pigs and dogs were um, considered dirty animals. Um, And the sad reality that Jesus is pointing out here is that as this talk of do not judge others and the the, the talk of having a plank in your eye, the reality is some people will not listen to this. The sad reality is that some folks just won't respond to the gospel. And Jesus is saying do not barge your way in. Certainly we are not here to, to judge these people, but we must critically think that some people will hear the good news of Jesus and they just will not respond. And Jesus is saying, do not toss what is holy to the dogs or the pigs. Do not cast your pearls where it's dirty and it's muddy. We cannot barge our way into people's hearts. Only the Spirit can, can change a heart. Which I think is why Jesus is saying, but your part is to not be a jerk when you're talking to them. Like, you pay attention, Adam, to the, to the beam that is sticking out of your eye when you want to call out the splinter in your brothers. Because the greatest hindrance to the gospel may not be their own heart, but it may be me <laughs> being a jerk when it comes to judging your sin over mine. However, some will not respond to the gospel, but others will. And they will respond to the great pearl, the great treasure of the gospel. The, the gospels are clear that, um, and, and, and Matthew later in his gospels would talk about, as, as Jesus talks about, that the kingdom of heaven is like a, a great pearl, a, a great treasure. So this language is common. And some people will respond and others will not. And in light of this, this is what Jesus says next in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. You see, many times we could read this verse and think, and rightfully so, That Jesus is calling us to go to our Heavenly Father expectantly. That this is a call to approach the throne of grace and boldly and expectantly pray, God heal, God save, God redeem, God bless. And as we read this verse and we recognize what's going on here, 
we recognize only one response. That our God is a generous God. Our God is a generous God. Our God is the one who says, ask, seek, and knock. Well, a God who says to ask, seek, and knock does not sound like a God who is a riddle or who is a puzzle master and is waiting for you to, should I take this job, should I take this job? Should I go to this school or should I go to this school? I think God is a lot more simpler than that. And maybe he is calling you to, to your spouse, your future spouse. Maybe he is calling you to one job. Maybe he is calling you to one school. But maybe God is just saying, wherever you find yourself in life, ask, seek, and knock wherever you're at. That God is not a riddle. He's not a puzzle. And don't fall for the false reality that God created and stepped away. And as I said in the beginning of service, that he is out there. No, he's here. A God who asks you to seek, to knock, He's not a God who is out there, but that sounds like a God who is very, very close. But listen carefully. The object of our celebration is not the gifts that he gives. It's the giver that he is. The object of our celebration and the fact that we celebrate that our God is a generous God. Don't get caught up in what he can give you and miss who he is generosity is just the way our God operates. You can never outgive God. This is why we give to citizens. We do not give to citizens financially. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about financially, because if you want to trust in our generous God, there's nothing more that you could do than, than, than trust him with your money. This is why we give, because we cannot outgive God, and he has given to us. What has he given? Well, Scripture is clear. He has given the Son. If God would send His own Son to die for you, how much more confidently do I come to Him when it comes to my school decision, job decision, future spouse decision, and I say, ask, and I'm seeking, and I'm knocking? How much more can God provide? Our God is a generous God, and the object of our celebration is not just the gifts. It is the giver. And Jesus is going to take this a step further. And this is one of my favorite, favorite passages in all of Scripture. Because it was, as we look at the idea that our God is a generous God who saves, who heals, who redeems, who blesses, who gives out freely. You and I woke up this morning. He gives life freely. Jesus is going to say something radical, radical, and I think it will encourage your heart. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. With this theme in mind that our God is a generous God, because we have a God that we can ask of, that we can seek of, and then we can knock on his door, this is what Jesus says next. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more how much more will your, heaven, your, your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And then therefore, we, we saw this earlier in verse 2, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, so also the same for them. Do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Why can we ask, seek, and knock? 
Because God is our good father. I mean, Jesus is, is, is so wise as he teaches. Because think about this even in our own context. Parents in here, I'm not a parent, so this is, I'm, I'm going to put my, uh, kind of work through you in this illustration. Parents in here. If your child comes to you and asks for something to drink, who in here is going to turn around and give them a snake? Or if your child comes to them, comes to you, says, hey, I'm hungry, you're going to give them a rock? And yet, and yet, think about how much evil is in your own heart. I mean, Jesus says it. If you then, who are evil, know how to do this. And not only do you give, but you give expecting nothing in return. Like, if, if, if anyone in here has a three-year-old and they're like, hey, can I get something to drink? Do you give them something to drink? They're like, well, pay me back later. Well, when I want to drink, I'm coming to see you. That's not how we operate. I heard of a dad this week who uh, their, their kids needed cars, so he, he helped them get two different cars. Two different kids, two different cars. I think of my own dad. I could be like, hey, if I called my dad right now, I was like, hey, I, I need 50 bucks. Even if he didn't have it, he'd find a way to give it to me. And Jesus is saying, if you, earthly fathers and mothers, if you then know how to do this, how much more will your heavenly father? Yet I approach my dad with way more confidence that he will give me 50 bucks than I do God that he will give me my daily bread. I approach my dad like, yeah, I, I need 50 bucks. But so many times we approach our Heavenly Father timidly because I have not measured up. I have done something that I believe, man, God just needs to cool off. And I certainly cannot ask Him for bread right now because my heart says that He may give me a snake. And the enemy tells you that He may give you a snake. But Jesus is clear. As he's gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we have heard about the kingdom and we have heard of the heart of the Father. And I think it all culminates to this. That how can we judge others when we have been shown grace upon grace? This section right here in 9-11 takes us immediately back to verses 1 and 2. Do not judge or you will be judged. Because the measure that you judge others is what will come back to you. And on the surface, and before we read verses 9 and 11, we think, okay, that would be good not to judge. But then when we get to this section, we realize, oh, this is why Jesus says do not judge. Because you and I in Jesus, who have a good heavenly Father, have been given grace upon grace, bread upon bread. You and I have had our needs taken care of. So why would I ever, ever, Pick on the splinter that is in my brother's eye. How can we respond like that? The gospel erases the judgment of others. And Jesus in verse 12 says that this is what the law and the prophets mean. And, and essentially what this means, and we're not going to turn there, this is the same language that Jesus uses in the golden rule. Where Jesus says the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, for this is the law and prophets. And what Jesus means 
when he says law and prophets, think of it like a coat rack. And if I was to hang my coat, I would need a coat rack. And Jesus is saying the law and the prophets is the coat rack. Everything that you are doing depends and hangs on this. That everything that you do depends on that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the sum of what it means to follow Jesus. Anything else that you are hanging your coat on will fail. And in the same verbiage, Jesus is saying, this is what also depends on the law and prophets. And something tells me that if we were loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we were loving our neighbors as ourselves, judgment would not be our first response. Our sermon in a sentence this morning is simply that. That because of Jesus, we no longer respond in judgment but in grace. Jesus changes everything. And thank goodness that my response to those around me does not have to be judgment anymore. It can be grace. And it's not because I'm the most grace-filled person ever. I'm not. But it's because in grace, Jesus continues to constantly remind me, Adam, I have died for you. Adam, I, I've given myself for you. I no longer condemn you. So how can you condemn others? How we treat others matters big time. How you treat your coworkers matters. How you treat your spouse matters. How you treat your, your children matters. And I don't know what it looks like for you in your specific situation to show grace, but you sure do know what judgment looks like. Grace can look like a multitude of different things. Picking up coffee for someone, maybe shooting an encouraging text, forgiving someone that you're holding a grudge to. It can look like a myriad of different things. But for all of us, judgment comes boxed in the I am better than you. I am better than you because of A, B, C, and D. I am better than you because I put my shopping cart up. I am better than you because I am a pastor. I am better than you because I read my, my Bible. I am better than you because I give to my local church. And all the while, Jesus is saying, there is a beam sticking out of your eye, my, 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 my brother. I, I think Jesus calls me brother to get on my level. My brother, there is a beam sticking out of your eye. And it's this conviction of grace that says, no longer do I have to look to my fellow brother and judge their splinter because the gospel has taken care of my sin, my disgrace, and my shame. And if that is you in here this morning, and maybe the beam in your eye has never been taken care of. The Bible would be clear that not only do you have a beam in your eye, but you have a dead heart. Maybe you judge others because you've never been forgiven yourself. You have to judge others. You have to judge others to stay in front of them, to stay ahead of them, to feel good about yourself. If you're not judging others, you may succumb. And if that's you this morning, then, then hear this. Jesus is actually wanting to do something with the beam in your eye. 
He actually wants to do something with your heart of stone. He wants to turn it into a heart of flesh, the Bible says. He wants to turn your judgmental spirit into a spirit of grace, into a spirit of peace, into a spirit that critically thinks, yes, but always loves first. He wants to turn your judgmental spirit into a spirit that looks to your brother and sister. says, man, I want your good above my own. And I promise this will not happen perfectly all the time. However, Jesus will never stop giving up on us. That is the, that is the gospel. That if Jesus would die for you, when you weren't high, you weren't high and mighty, then why would he now reject you that you're low? That is the gospel. And if you need Jesus, the steadiest hand with the sharpest scalpel, to surgically remove your being, then during this last song, I invite you to pray. I invite you to pray that the God of the universe, the one who has the government upon his shoulders, the one who is everlasting to everlasting, that he would actually do something with your sin, with your judgment, with your, honestly, let's just be honest, a cold, callous heart. God can transform. God can redeem. God can actually do something with your life. And that is what he is extending to you. Because of Jesus, we no longer have to respond in judgment. We no longer have to be callous towards others. We no longer have to talk crap and gossip about others. We can actually love one another because we have been shown grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And so whatever your next move is, if, if you need prayer, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray with you. But maybe you just need to stay in your seat and, 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 and pray that our Father in heaven would hear your cries to remove the beam out of your eye and that he would heal and that he would restore. Whatever your next move is, I pray that you would take it. I pray that you would walk in obedience to what God is calling you to do and that you and I together you and I together would keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. That because of Jesus there is grace. That because of Jesus we can ask, we can seek, we can knock. Because our good Father in heaven hears us.